Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Susie White. Welcome to the podcast, Susie. Thank you, Richard. Um, Susie is joined here with her husband, Tim. He may um, share some thoughts. This will primarily be Susie sharing her story. And I thought the best way to introduce Susie to you listeners is to um, read to you the email Susie sent to me as she was exploring the podcast. And I'll start with, um, I wonder if I could share my experience with anxiety, depression, and PMDD for 33 plus years. So listeners, I didn't know what PMDD is. I still don't. And we're going to learn more about that in this podcast. I'll keep reading now. These mood disorders affected my life as a young woman, a BYU college student, a sister missionary in a foreign land, in a foreign land, an undergrad in India, and my church service over the years, and most importantly, as a daughter of God, wife, and mother of four daughters. My faith in the plan of salvation, happiness, and redemption through Christ, and the power and protection of my covenants has been my saving grace. My stubborn obedience, LOL, to the laws and ordinances of the gospel has given me peace throughout the mental turmoil of, quote, not feeding myself for up to two weeks of every month. I also feel my ancestors have been protecting me and my family as I've been very active in family history and temple work. What a blessing that has been. Tim and I have served in the temple and look forward to the completion of the Sarasota Temple, which is where you live. That's great to have a temple that's closer. So listeners, this will be Susie um, White sharing her story, mother of married mother of four daughters, roughly age 17 to 24. I think one of the things that will be helpful, especially for younger listeners, is you've been on this road for a long time, Susie. Mm-hmm. It's not like... Um, and so I think that may be helpful for younger listeners um, that are walking the road or partners that are trying to best support you with things they may not totally understand. Is that okay for an introduction? Yes, that's fantastic. So I'll just turn it over to you. Maybe you can continue to induce, introduce yourself and just what you'd like to talk about. Well, I like how you mentioned younger, that this might be helpful for younger people because... When I was younger, I wish that I had had access to all the resources and some of the information that's out there right now regarding premenstrual mood disorders. Um, there wasn't a lot of information about it. It was hard to come across things that felt like what I was experiencing. Um, and researching was all up to me. And my doctors and things like that didn't really understand it and I didn't understand it for a long time. So I I do run a peer support group through the International Association of Premenstrual Disorders. It's all otherwise known as IAPMD. And I do a video group and um it's it's really exciting to be with women and um assign female at birth individuals because this does affect anyone that has reproductive hormones. Um, it's exciting to be with them and to know that they were led to my peer support group through the IAPMD website, that that information, that they are finding what they need there when they're Googling premenstrual mood disorders or irritability before my period or um, 
depression before my period, things like that. Once you Google it now, nowadays, you can come across the IAPMD website and it's, and it's such a blessing. Um, and I'm so excited to be a part of their platform and to be able to volunteer my time with them and to help other people navigate this. It took me so long to navigate it. And, and I just uh, have to kind of take a deep breath and, and realize that I'm finally here in a position where I can share and that I'm not falling apart all the time where I can actually come from a position of strength and experience. So with that, and thank you for that intro, I would like to do another little intro, a little segue into this. Um, Premenstrual mood disorders are serious and carry the risk of being as fatal as other mood disorders like depression, um, the bipolar manic depressive disorder, any of those can end tragically. And I know you've had other podcasts on, on that. There are some that would like to keep the discussion of PMDD and uh, PME, which is premenstrual exacerbation. Um, there, were, there are people that would like to keep the discussion of these premenstrual mood disorders as an endocrine illness or a strictly physiological phenomenon in order to avoid the stigma of mental illness. So there are many women who are like, I'm not mentally ill. This is, this is my hormones. And, and it's true. It, it, it is. But I'm here to say, can we get real? Because, and here is a gentle trigger warning and a current fact. 30% of women and the AFAB individuals who experience this and have a real sensitivity to normal hormonal shifts in their cycle will attempt suicide in their lifetime. 30%. So I'm not here to talk about what most people associate with premenstrual syndrome, which is PMS, which I, I also have empathy for. And I understand that that is an irritating thing to go through when you have some irritability before your period where you're craving chocolate, carbs, you might have, a, you know, you might become tearful or suddenly cry. Those can be uncomfortable and can be addressed with some lifestyle changes, maybe some supplements, self-care, and I'm all for that. I'm also not talking about painful periods, cramps, heavy bleeding, although these can be definitely be added issues for women and AFAB individuals. These can be serious in and of themselves and deserve our attention, attention and understanding. Um, for example, endometriosis is very painful and no picnic. I've been in the ER with my daughter with it. There are many women's health issues that we sort of sweep under the rug. What I'm here to share after many years of questioning myself, my sanity, my worthiness as a human being, child of God, a wife, and a mother, is premenstrual dysphoric disorder, or PMDD. It affects 1 in 20 women and assigned female at birth individuals. That's 5.5% of women and AFAB individuals. That is not easy for me to, t it's, it's not easy for me to talk about for five minutes, <laughs> let alone for possibly an hour, Richard. Um, in early t 2002, one of our local news channels was doing a series called Our Town. This is called, this is 20 years ago. 
So it was a bunch of local interest news stories. They put the call out to us viewers to send in ideas. I was 33 and lived in a very young, very new city and was really struggling as a young mom of three children. I had recently weaned my third child from breastfeeding and was still getting very little and very interrupted sleep. None of my kids were sleeping well at that time. My cycle and periods had come back and I was completely overwhelmed by everything. But I thought, this is a state, this is Utah, where there's many women who are off birth control. They're trying to get pregnant and start to have families or they are pregnant or they have recently give, given birth. Is there anyone else out there experiencing what I am? Surely there must be other women struggling with the demands of mothering young children and maintaining their mental health. I know that Utah has a very high usage rate of antidepressants. Could some of this usage be from a premenstrual mood disorder? From sensitivity to normal hormone shifts? Was there anyone else out there trying to connect the dots between their hormones and their mental health? So I thought I was ready to be open and talk about it then. I wanted to see if there were local medical professionals specializing in it or even aware of it. So I called the news station and they wanted to send someone out to film me in my home, in my town. Turns out I wasn't ready. <laughs> my brain turned on all sorts of shame thoughts and things like your house is a mess. You're a mess. You know, you're, you're just, you're struggling and your kids are running all over the house and how are you going to do this? I was in no condition to be a poster child for PMDD 20 years ago. I was in crisis. I called back and canceled everything. So fast forward, not so fast, <laughs> LOL, um, 20 years, and here I am. Last year, Monday, November 8th, at 9.20 a.m., I received a Facebook message from my mother-in-law's good friend, and I'd like to read that message if I could. She said, and she's my mother-in-law's age, she said, Susie, I saw your recent post on this condition and a former ward member just posted her daughter's obituary with this information. I'm so shocked and saddened. Would thoughts of suicide be one of the symptoms? So then she inserted part of her, part of her obituary, which, which read, and here's part of the obituary that her parents wrote. Christina suffered from premenstrual dysphoric disorder, PMTD which be can become more serious the longer it is undiagnosed and untreated. We feel compelled to share the importance of seeking help for premenstrual disorders. Many women and AFAB or assigned female at birth individuals are misdiagnosed and struggle to get appropriate help for many years. For information on PMDD and if you would like to donate in lieu of flowers, please visit iapmd.org. And my mother's mother-in-law's friend ended with this. She wrote, she was 33 years old, a nurse, wife, mother. And I thought, wow, I couldn't believe what I was reading. I wrote back to her that unfortunately, yes, suicidal feelings, thoughts, and sometimes attempts were a very real part of PMTD. This was the very day before I was to hold my very first support, peer support group meeting for IAPMD. 
I was now finally choosing to be engaged in doing for others what I could not do 20 years previous in my time of extreme vulnerability. Was this very tragic message a sign that I was on the right path? Oh yeah, it was. I'm, I'm not a sign seeker, but Heavenly Father knows me, and He knows that social anxiety I have sometimes in front of others, and He knows that I need extra encouragement to do hard but important, possibly life-saving things. He loves so many of us who are quietly suffering with premenstrual mood disorders. He loves all with depression, with anxiety, with whatever else mortality throws at us. This was my sign that it's okay to go forward no matter how uncomfortable it may feel and be for me. No matter how much more I feel I should know. No matter how imperfect or unpolished my delivery may be. No matter that I'm still in it. I'm 52, perimenopausal. My life stressors are currently less, which helps. I am still sensitive to my hormone shifts, but I'm also thankfully managing pretty well at the moment. I've lived with this for most of my life since puberty, and, and that's enough. I'm enough. I'm prepared. So I'd like to dedicate this podcast to Christina Elizabeth Bone Red, who was born October 8, 1988, and passed away November 3rd, 2021. Her family, to her, her family and her friends, her mom gave me permission to say her name. And in fact, she said, she wrote me in an email, please say her full name. There are people who know her in so many communities. Um, just to note that her parents did a wonderful segment on PMDD on the BYU Nursing Program's podcast. Um, Christina was a valedictorian of her graduating nursing class at BYU. And um, I think they were really wanting to learn more about it. And that says something when a nursing program is, is very open to, to learning about something that they realize they don't have as much information about. Um, Christina's mom, Mary Beth, and I have become Facebook friends. And um, she posed three questions in that podcast that I thought were so excellent. And I wanted to also bring them here to this podcast. Um, these are questions that healthcare workers in the ER, um, OBGYN offices, general practitioner offices, psychi um, psychiatrist offices, um, therapists. These are, these are questions they could ask to catch premenstrual mood disorders before their conditions get worse. Um, and those three questions are, one, when was your last period? Two, when are you expecting your next period? And three, what is PMS like for you? Um, and this is not to say that we blame everything on hormones. That is not what this is. And I think there's been a great resistance to that in society in general of trying to categorize women as, um, you know, hormonal, overly reactive, um, you know, and that has pushed women back in, you know, in, in many areas of life, but, um, but, and that's not true. What this is, is to say that there are one in 20 women, including assigned female at birth individuals who do have a very strong sensitivity to reproductive hormone shifts. So this is 
a percentage of the population. This isn't all women. There are women that I wish I could understand what their life is like who don't experience this. And I, I can't even imagine having a hormonal shifts and, and it not affecting you. So like, I'm like amazed by women who can just go through their lives without these. Um, these shifts seem to happen most at ovulation and can come and go in severity anytime from in between ovulation and when the period starts. And this is called the luteal phase. And so anyone who has PMDs learns all these fun scientific terms for the follicular phase, which is before ovulation, and then the luteal phase, which is post-ovulation. Um, this is when estrogen and progesterone um, shift more. And um, that it's a natural thing, but some women are super sensitive to that. Their brains are super sensitive to that. Um, as, the, as the hormones flatline, when you have your period in a, or a couple of days into your period, um, the symptoms magically disappear and you feel well again. You feel yourself. You feel like the, like the sky has, the clouds have parted and the light has shining down on you and you feel you feel capable and you feel interested in the things that you're normally interested in. And um, to me, knowing that this exists is really important information. I kind of feel like people like me and the other people that are sensitive to this are like canaries in a coal mine. Have you heard that phrase before? I have. <laughs> and so they used to bring a canary in a cage down with the coal miners, right? And, and when, the, when the bird would suddenly pass out or, or die, they knew they needed to get out of the hole. And because the carbon monoxide levels were too dangerous. So this is something that coal miners did, and that's where this saying comes from. You know, so just like canaries in a coal mine, sensitive individuals can alert the rest of us to things that um, are perhaps imbalanced in, in the environment, you know, it could also, we could also be harbingers of epigenetic shifts in the gene pool caused by things that scientists are still trying to figure out. So things that will create genetic mutations um, and things like this that make us more sensitive to certain things. Um, they have found research that there are differences in the cells of women with and women without this hormone sensitivity. Um, so I feel like women and AFAB, AFAB individuals with PMDs are like canaries in that they can alert us to the natural consequences of unchecked toxins that disrupt our endocrine systems, maybe in the environment and things like that. They can also warn us of the dangers of trying to do too much with too little support, both physical and emotional. Um, there are many ways to examine the phenomenon um, to look at this syndrome or cluster of symptoms to figure out how we can find relief, give support, and make sure the talents, gifts, love, friendship, work, and support of these individuals are not missed out on. I think we may be losing many from our church congregations who are overwhelmed and also feel like they're not there and also don't feel like they're safe in disclosing their struggle completely. It's not fun to talk about periods. 
it's not fun to talk about um, mental health. It's not something that we want to, that comes up in release society every week. You know, we kind of joke about those kinds of things. We kind of lightheartedly say, oh, I'm feeling very hormonal or this or that, you know. But um, when it comes to having a deeper struggle, you don't feel comfortable saying, hey, I'm the one, I'm really faltering with this. I'm really struggling. Um, so I, I feel like some people might be slipping through the cracks and might just choose not to participate in, um, in church and, and kind of all the expectations on women and, and mothers and, and having callings and things like that. Um, that it might be too much time and too much expectation for them. So that is the first part of what I wanted to kind of talk about. And um, I haven't really got into my specific story, but, um, or I haven't really completely defined what PMDD is. But if you'd like me to do that, I can... Yeah, let's just, um, just a couple comments, listeners. We will, I love this first segment. I'm learning things that I've never heard discussed before in my lifetime at 61. And um, maybe you are too. And this is one of the purposes of this podcast is for brave, vulnerable people like Susie to come forward and share her own story. This isn't theoretical. You understand the theoretical side of this. This is your lived story. And my empathy now and compassion and probably the jokes I used to make and the culture I used to grow and I grew up in around women on their periods, I now recognize that could really add to women's burdens with sort of the jokes that men may make around this and that there's a, any of those jokes are inappropriate, but especially as someone with a mood disorder tied in with this and the shame that that can create and just the spot you're in. Um, listeners, I love you talking about Christina Bone Rudd and mentioning her by name. And I love her mother, Mary Beth, and the work you're doing. And if you're listening, Mary Beth, great job. And I'd like to let you know link to Christina's uh, obituary in the podcast notes. I think that honors her. You can read about her good life. I don't think that increases the likelihood that others will die by suicide. But I think it honors her for her good life. And I'd like to, we will also link to IAPMD, the website you referenced in the show notes. And um, so you can get more resources. All right, Susie, you know, let's get a little bit more into, so tell, you've talked about this, but let's go a little bit deeper on what is PMDD and then what is PME. Okay. Um, Well, PMDD is an extreme sensitivity to normal hormone shifts, primarily in the luteal phase between ovulation and the start of bleeding of the, of the monthly cycle. So in 2013, the diagnostic criteria, criteria for PMDD was finally included in the DSM-5, which is the, what psychologists and psychiatrists use to diagnose mental disorders. It's also been included in international... Uh, and I think it was in 2018. It's in an international diagnostic manual of some sort. Um, and it's under two categories. It's in under gynecological conditions and psychiatric conditions. 
so they under they recognize the the um the physical causes um and also the mental symptoms um so it has its own diagnostic code and it relies the diagnosis relies on three things timing which it has to um you have to have at least five of the symptoms in the final week before your period so this actually happens before and then it improves and it can be minimal or absent in the week after your period so yeah some people will have these symptoms the first couple days of their period um but usually and this is how i experienced when i was younger i felt a lift as soon as i started to bleed and i felt good and sometimes even the day before like i you know as the hormones were kind of flatlining before you bleed i would feel relief and i would know oh i'm gonna have my period tomorrow or i'm gonna have it so um so the timing is very important. Um, so some of the symptoms, and you need to have one of these effective symptoms in order for it to be labeled PMDD. You have to have mood swings, uh, marked irritability or anger, or increased interpersonal conflicts. conflicts. That's one. Uh, another area of mood um, that it affects is uh, you could have a markedly depressed mood, feelings of hopelessness, or self-deprecating thoughts. Um, another group is um, anxiety, tension, and or feelings of being keyed up or on edge. And so, so we've talked about timing, and we've talked about those are the major um, mood symptoms there that I just listed. And then others, there's other, you have to have at least a cluster of four other symptoms that can be um, physical, and um, but some of them are mood-like as well. Um, so four of these, decreased interest in usual activities, subjective difficulty in concentration, lethargy, easy fatigability, or marked lack of energy, um, Another one is a marked change in appetite, overeating, or specific food cravings. And I definitely have that one. I am usually a very health conscious person and I, I, I like to eat well and I like to eat good foods. When I am premenstrual, I become a junk food junkie. And it's really crazy and out of character for me, but um, it's very hard for me to stick with that, to stick with my goals and my health uh, conscious living. Um, anyway, and so another symptom is hypersomnia or insomnia and not being able to sleep. Um, another symptom is a sense of being overwhelmed or out of control. And then physical symptoms such as breast tenderness or swelling, joint or muscle pain, a sensation of bloating or weight gain. So those are things that you can kind of people with PMS can get a taste of that. But this, again, the next subject that I want to talk about is severity. And this is part of the diagnosis too. So there's timing, there's symptoms, and there's severity. The symptoms are, um, have to be associated with a clinically significant distress or interference with work, school, usual social activities, or relationships with others. 
So that's what's that's PMDD. PME doesn't have its own diagnosis uh, or diagnostic criteria. PME is premenstrual exacerbation of another diagnosable condition. So if somebody has anxiety, they normally have anxiety um, in the days following up to their period, it'll be exacerbated, it'll be exaggerated. So this is something that um, we're doing more research into, but it could also be, if you could also have um, other physical conditions and, and many women, like I know women with fibromyalgia, who will, their symptoms will get worse before their periods. And so it does show a sensitivity to the hormones um, changes, but um, they, they call that PME, premenstrual exacerbation. And that's because there's already something going on with a person that, um, that just becomes worse premenstrually. And so you'll see a lot of people, you might see people with other mental illnesses being checked into the hospital into a psychiatric ward or something. There's, there's a greater um, number of, of women in AFAB individuals that are checked into like a psychiatric hospital or a clinic or something during that time. Um, so I think more people are familiar with maybe premenstrual exacerbation, but they're not quite as familiar as the separate PMDD, which you can have, you can have a diagnosed depression and anxiety and PMDD, which is kind of what I think I have because I can have anxiety and depression at other times of the month, but I don't have the irritability. I don't have the rage type of things. I don't have the complete brain fog that I get premenstrually that I know is part of the PMD cluster of symptoms. So, so I am kind of special in that I have both, probably have both of those. But um, anyway, that's, that, that's PME and PMDD. That's great. Great job. Tell us more about your experience and what it's like for you. Well, um, what it's like, it started out being like, I think that this may have started even in puberty, before I actually had my period, I think when my body was going through the hormonal shifts that lead up to, to puberty, um, I started feeling a little more dysphoria. I, I kind of felt like I was out of my body and I wasn't like really in, um, I felt kind of apathetic at times. And, um, but I didn't start to bleed until I was almost close to 16. So I was kind of an older uh, an older young woman with that. I, all my friends had already had their period. Some people had them when they were 11 or 12. And I'm waiting and thinking there's something wrong with me. And I was so excited to get my period. Um, <laughs> and that's odd for a lot of people to say, especially for someone with PMDD. But actually, you know, a lot of us do wait anxiously for our period to arrive because it brings relief. That's if we don't experience other things like cramps or endometriosis or that kind of thing. But for most of us, it is a delight when we start our period. So, um, so I did have that attitude towards it, but I did have a lot of, I was kind of a naturally shy and introverted kid anyway, but I would, but 
But my mom would characterize me as very outgoing and very happy, very um, kind of a sunny disposition. But there were times when I would not be and um, where I'd be overcome with anxiety and I would kind of want to withdraw. And as I went into middle school and into high school, it, it got worse. And there would be days when I might not talk to anybody at all in my classes or anything. Um, I've, I've heard a little bit about this symptom, like they call it selective mutism or something like that, where people don't talk very much. They have so much anxiety or some, so much going on inside that they just decide to sh kind of shut down and not really engage. And, and I think people might have seen that with me when I, when, when I was in high school. But then there would be other times other times when I was outgoing, when I tried out for school plays, I like to sing. I, I, I'm musical and I would get some pretty good parts in the musicals. I didn't do, I kind of wanted lead parts, but I was so anxious that I knew that I wouldn't be able to handle like memorizing all those lines and all that stuff. So I was glad to just have a part where I could f sing a few songs and um, you know, show off my talents that way. But, um, so there were times when I was very, um, very outgoing and not, and times when I was not. And, um, as I became more involved with like dating and boy, having boyfriends or being interested in boys, this is when I would think, that it kind of came to another level for me. Um, I became more distressed with my inability to kind of be myself and feel like myself sometimes. And I didn't really pair it with my cycle at that time. I, I knew when I would have my period, it was really regular. It was pretty regular. Um, but I didn't really see that before my period starts, all these symptoms would ramp up. So I didn't put that together until, um, until later, actually in, in college, I, I went to BYU and classes are huge, you know, huge undergraduate classes. Um, I saw an ex-boyfriend in one of those huge classes and that made me nervous. And so that felt like torture going to that class. Um, but I did um, branch out and made, made friends. I, I had some good roommates. I loved being part of a student ward. Um, but I would, I would sometimes like get very irritable with my, with my friend that I wanted to be my boyfriend, that I wasn't sure if he was my boyfriend. Um, I would get really irritable and just things that he did would bother me so much. And so I'm like, why do I even like him? Da, 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 da. And then like a week later, I was like, oh, I just love hanging out with him so much. It's so great, you know? Um, so I wouldn't recognize why I got so frustrated a few weeks ago with this person. Um, so, and, and I'm sure it was confusing for, for those boyfriends and things like that. 
uh, I went, I, whenever I broke up with a boyfriend, it was a very, um, a very sad occasion for me. I would, and I'm not like one to date around and have a tons of boyfriends. And I, so I hope it doesn't come across that way, but, um, if I trusted someone enough to be involved with them, then, um, I was going to be very sad if I lost you, if you were no longer a part of my life. So that's been hard to kind of reconcile, even in my later years, even being married with Tim, to reconcile the fact that I had unfinished business with a lot of these ex-boyfriends because I would just kind of fall apart and say, I can't do this anymore. He would be like, I can't do this anymore. And, and it was probably premenstrually that those things happened. And so it was very hard for me to kind of put closure to a lot of those things because I didn't understand what happened. Um, anyway, I ended up deciding to go on a mission. I really wanted to serve a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. My second year as a sophomore at BYU, I, um, I had a, a visiting teaching companion who was awesome and and she had served a mission. So I wanted to serve a mission. Uh, my parents were converts in New Jersey, and I really was grateful for the church. You know, with all the changes in my mental health and my mood and things, the church was always a foundation for me that was kind of immovable in my life. It was something that I could count on. And so that's why I've always been very appreciative of it. Um, So I did serve a mission and I did not have, oh, I, I failed to mention that. I was diagnosed at BYU my sophomore year with depression and anxiety after I broke up with, after a boyfriend and I broke up. I finally, I went to the BYU Counseling Center and I filled out a bunch of paperwork and a bunch of dot to dot things and whatever they, those forms. And they said, you have depression. Um, major depression with anxiety. And um, so that was my very first time going to counseling, did a couple group therapy sessions, which was interesting. And they suggested I try an antidepressant. And so I did. I went on my very first antidepressant and I felt better pr pretty soon. And that is, that's actually something that women who are sensitive to their hormones will respond to SSRIs quicker than other people. It might take up to a month to feel, to feel the lift, but um, women with PMDD will actually respond quicker. So I did respond and I felt really good. Um, and I, and I felt so good that I stopped going to the therapist and I stopped um, doing the group sessions and I, I, um, and eventually I stopped the antidepressant itself because I thought, oh, I'm, I'm fine now. And, and I did, I filled out my papers, went on a mission. I did pretty well. I did not have medication on my mission. Um, it was a difficult mission, you know, in a developing country. It was the Philippines. Loved it, loved the people, but it was physically hard and, and um, sometimes mentally taxing as well. It was hard to teach the discussions and to uh, 
have some people not be interested. You know, I felt that personal rejection. And that's that's something that can be exaggerated in your premenstrual phase as well, this sense of perceived sense of rejection. And so if somebody was not wanting to have, you know, go on with the discussions anymore or anything like that, I would take it really personally. It would be really hard. And um, so, so it was hard, but I, I did it and I loved it. Um, I'm very glad that I did it. Um, uh, Susie, there's, you know, I just can't believe you kind of got through this mission. You still don't really have a diagnosis and you've been going through boyfriends and you've done such a great job of sharing your experience. Um, the first reaction I have is I want to go talk to my wife and just <laughs> be a better husband and ask, you asked a really good question way back in the beginning of the podcast. I wrote down word for word. What is PMS like for you? That's a great question that we could ask women in our lives. Um, if Even if I'm dating somebody and sort of getting in a serious point, that would be a great question to ask. I've never asked that question in 30 plus years of marriage to my wife. We've sort of talked about this, but you've sort of opened my mind. And so this podcast is really helpful, obviously, for women walking this road, realizing they're not alone. Um, but it's also probably helpful and and a lot of women don't have a male partner in their life to sort of walk with them. So a lot of women don't have what you have in Tim. But anyway, listeners, I want to ask two more questions. Um, one is I want to ask you, Susie, how has PMDD affected your membership in the church? You're obviously an active member of the church, but sometimes culturally it's hard to be authentic or come to church when the reality of your life doesn't seem to match the experience of everybody else around you. And maybe you can take about 10 minutes or whatever you do on that question. Then I'd love to get your husband if he would be willing to, because there's a lot of men listening, wondering what Tim would say to them as advice. So they want to be good husbands <laughs> to their wives, but they've never heard somebody like Tim say, well, this is what I do that hopefully is helpful and what I've learned and maybe mistakes I've made and so I would guess if we can get Tim to come on the podcast, he's sitting here and share some thoughts. It would be helpful for all of us that are trying to support. So I'll turn it back to you, Susie. Okay. So, uh, so remind me of you would like me to talk about your membership. Talk in the about church. my membership in the church. Well, I um, I think um, callings and things like that have been have been great for someone like me. It's been kind of the curse and the blessing because any, and anybody who has anxiety would understand this and, and probably depression as well. And, and not just the pre PMDD, but um, doing things that are seem to be easy for other people are hard. And we, we hear this, we hear this phrase, we can do hard things, right? We hear that a lot. And for someone who every day or every day is hard or specifically the week before their period or two weeks before their period is like really hard. Doing those extra hard things are just maybe too much for some people. I have had to learn to kind of just be okay doing what I can um, and be okay making mistakes in front of people and kind of looking like I don't have it all together in front of people. Um, 
I actually physically flush when I'm having anxiety or when I'm in front of people. I physically flush so people can tell that I'm very nervous. And that's part of my anxiety. The, I, I remember being in, in primary and doing, I was a counselor in the primary and doing a sharing time. And my mind was going blank. I had something prepared that I wanted to share and my mind was just going blank. And I could see a brother teacher in the back row, just kind of like shaking his head and, and like, what is wrong with this lady? And, and I felt it was hard. It was really hard because it was already hard enough for me to be up there. And I was just doing the very best that I could. Um, and then of course, to feel that perception of somebody judging me on top of it was, um, was hard. And I probably went home that day and said, why do I even bother? You know, but, but then there's, a, then there's the little kids looking up at you and they're fine. They don't care, you know? Um, so some callings, it's easier to get away with these things than others. I'd say primary is a pretty forgiving place to be. Um, it's harder when you're in teaching, like I, I was a Sunday, a doctrine, not a doctrinal. Um, I was a Relief Society teacher and I taught the general conference lessons. I loved that calling. I love talking about general conference talks and, um, but I would be nervous up there and I would have to over prepare, kind of over prepare myself. And even if I over prepared, I sometimes I would still, I would perceive that it fell, everything kind of fell apart and maybe it didn't, but, um, Nobody said that to me. Nobody came up and like, are you okay? Or, you know, this or that. But that's what I felt like inside, like that I had um, somehow, it was just too much, too, too much vulnerability in front of people. Um, but at other times I was kind of proud of the, the fact that I wasn't, that I was, I was humble enough to keep trying and to keep, doing what the Lord was asking me to do. And that by doing these callings, I was actually increasing my abilities. I was using my talents. Um, and so like what I said, like, like I said, what, what's a blessing can also feel like a curse. What's a curse is actually a blessing and doing things like um, visiting, teaching and ministering was a blessing. It got me out of my house. It got me visiting other women. Um, it, um, and when people visited me, sometimes I could share a little bit about what I was going through. I would, I would admit to depression and maybe same anxiety and things like that, but it was really hard to talk about PMDD. It was really hard to say that, uh, that the two weeks before my period are very, very challenging for me. And I go to a very dark place and I could sometimes have thoughts that I don't, I don't, I shouldn't be here. Like I'm damaging my children. They need a mom who, who doesn't yell so much. And, and sometimes I would yell and I wouldn't be like that when I didn't have PMDD. I wouldn't, I was patient with them. I was loving. I, you know, I had a great, I love my kids so much um, and loved being a mom. But in those weeks, it was difficult. Um, and I would get so overwhelmed. And if there was anything on top of it, like sleep deprivation, say one of your kids was sick and you missed out on a ton of sleep, that would just 
make it even worse. And um, so I would say that it, it drove me to have very much of a vertical relationship with my Heavenly Father, more than worrying about what other people thought of me and how much other people liked me or understood me. I had, it was between me and Heavenly Father and the Savior. And so I, I, I am kind of a deep diver into the scriptures and I do really ponder them and like to have that time just with the Lord. And um, I'm not a very good prayer because I felt like a lot of times when my kids were little and I was praying and praying that they would go to sleep and sleep through the night, if they could just sleep through the night, Heavenly Father, I'll feel so much better. And I didn't get that. <laughs> I didn't get that kind of relief. And so I was like, I don't feel like I can even pray very much anymore. I don't feel like I'm, my prayers are being answered. So what I would do instead of praying regularly on my knees, I would pray a lot in my heart. And I just talked to Heavenly Father in my heart. And um, so for me, it's developed my, my spirituality has developed in a different way because of my PMDD. And so I actually have a strange amount of gratitude for this a very humbling experience. I don't, I don't know. I, have, I feel like I, did, I do have a lot of talents and gifts. And, and maybe if I didn't have this, I wouldn't be very humble about it all. And I wouldn't be very, very empathetic of others. But I sure as heck have developed a lot of empathy for other people by having gone through this. Um, and I understand that performance isn't everything. And that you can do a lot of good just by... Um, listening to others. Um, and so, and, and I'm naturally curious about others and other things anyway, but I would say that, yeah, there's feelings where you don't feel worthy or you wonder why Heavenly Father has given you this. You wonder why, why do I have four daughters <laughs> when I have this? Why have I, you know, Tim and I both have some, anxiety things we've both passed on some lovely genetic things to our children i'm sure that are challenging both challenging and a blessing but um for my daughters in particular i i know that they struggle i know they struggle with probably premenstrual exacerbation of their anxieties because all of them have anxiety and depression to some degree and um so I feel kind of responsible for that. I'm like, Heavenly Father, why did you, why? You know, um, I feel like I'm learning a lot and I feel like I can be present with them sometimes. And then other times I'm so worried about my own survival and my own getting through something that it is easy for me to ignore their, some of their, struggles um so you know i i receive assurances from the spirit that my children still love me <laughs> and they actually tell me too which is which is great 
And I appreciate that. But you're always going to have the times when your children are, you're not feeling like they particularly care for you or care for the mood that you're in. And that's, that's challenging for someone whose, whose thoughts can spiral. I would say that I, being on an antidepressant for as many years as I have, that is my safety net. I, I hope people don't feel bad about being on medication and having that. It, it is my safety net. Um, it keeps me from spiraling. I, I've, I've had, you know, some situ. When I was 33, when I was Christina's age, it was difficult. And I would say that was the one time that I ever called like a suicide hotline. I'd never done that before. And I did that and, and it, they kind of like rerouted me back to my bishop, you know, because they knew I was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So they rerouted me to my bishop and I did get some counseling and we went through some fam family counseling at that time. And that was helpful for us to kind of, for, for the family to kind of rally around me. But also it wasn't all about me. We had to try to make each other's lives a little less stressful by doing our part and i have kids with high needs i have and, and this is it too there may be women out there with pmds who have children that have that have diff, you know children with developmental disorders um children with their own mental illnesses and this it, it's it's hard um so there needs to be a lot more support so i feel like if we don't have as many high expectations on women, if women feel comfortable coming to their leaders, discussing things when they're, when they're extending a calling, they should ask them some questions. How are you doing mental, you know, how is your mental health? How is, what is your, what are your responsibilities like at home? Because I'd love to say and accept every single calling, but I would like to say, that I'd like to make accommodation. Can you make accommodations or can you make, can, can you help me feel like I can do this successfully without it looking like sister so-and-so or, um, you know, I'm going to do things my way. And I think the Lord will approve of the way I do, do things. It may not be as spectacular as sister so-and-so, but and so maybe the expectations of church leaders on, on women and a, you know, assigned female at birth, people who are participating in church, just to be sensitive to that. Um, it's a really good segment. I'm just going to, um, I want to get Tim talking. I loved what you're framing this up. It's not a spiritual weakness. Mm -hmm. um, I love that you are a mother walking this road with your daughters, even though you feel some genetic responsibility here. Um, I think it's beautiful that you can walk this road with your daughters and many other people. And I think that's some of the greatest paydays of your life. And I don't think Heavenly Father wants you to feel like you're responsible at all. And you didn't say that, but I think it's a, it's a great bit blessing in your daughter's lives. And this is me speaking to everybody that's walking with other people have similar mental health issues that you can help them in an authentic way because you know that. I love what you said about I'm focusing on a vertical relationship with Heavenly Father and kind of not all the expectations around me. I think that's a really strong place to be um, and just saying I can control my relationship with Heavenly Father, but I'm not going to sort of measure myself 
by everybody else. And even in that calling scenario you role-played, that was terrific because you just said, I'm going to be you in that calling. I can't be the predecessor. I can't be like somebody else in another stake. Um, so those are beautiful s- thoughts there. Um, Tim, when I'm going to come to Tim. In my mission prep class, Tim, and my pre-scorm, we never talked about PMS. <laughs> um, and I recognize that PMS is something I, I assume all women experience. So I probably would be dismissive of somebody who has a, a, a worse case or really what you have here, what you've taught us about PMDD. So I probably would be dismissive and just think, well, you're overly sensitive or, you know, this is something everybody, other woman is going through. There's something about normalizing because every woman goes through it that maybe invalidates somebody's experience why not everybody experiences everything. So these are some of the things that I think mistakes I would make. So anyway, I just want you to talk to just whatever you'd like to talk about, Tim. It's up, you're on. Uh, I would, I would agree with you. I kind of had the same uh, experience. Um, I grew up with brothers and one sister who was almost like, non-existent around when she was probably having her period and we didn't, or maybe acted out and had, you know, frustrations with us. And we were probably not very sensitive, um, boys growing up, uh, with her. So, um, when I, when we got married, um, I didn't quite understand um, the mood swings and, and some of the, um, uh, changes that were happening. Um, it did seem like, and one of the things that I don't know that we mentioned this, but you know, one of the things is when they're for, when Susie was pregnant, it wasn't as bad during those times. So, um, early on in our marriage, uh, we had twins within the first couple of years, and then uh, another one um, shortly thereafter, we took a little bit more time for the, the last one, <laughs> um, five, years. five years. But <clears throat> um, so during that time, it wasn't as present as it is um, more uh, after that time period. Um, and so... Uh, when it when it really started to become something that was there often and and kind of constant, it it kind of scared me at first, um, and um, and you don't really know where to turn on something like that. And you know, Susie's done a really great job all those years of kind of researching and you know, researching nutrition and every possible way, you know, to, um, get a handle on it. And I'm like probably most guys, like I just get up, go to work, stay as to work as long as possible <laughs> and then come home and deal with what's there. And, um, uh, but I, over time, I think I started to have a lot more compassion, a little bit more empathy for it um, as we started to learn about it together and, um, and also seeing it maybe a little bit more in, um, our, our kids, 
and kind of recognizing, oh, this is probably something that a lot of women deal with and I don't even know it. You know, you work amongst women or you work with women in the church in our callings and different things and maybe didn't have the same kind of um, understanding or compassion. It's just maybe a more compassionate person in general um, over the years because of it. So in a way it's been a blessing for me, but it's, it's, it's not been easy and it's probably something that um, I wouldn't wish upon anybody else at all. But I would say that, um, you know, I, I, I think I'm a, a better husband and a better father now than I was early on. And you get that with any parents probably feel like they're, you know, you gain wisdom and, and stuff. But I think it's forced its hand upon us and, um, you know, it's brought us closer together to to deal with it and to support one another because she also knows that I suffer during that time and um, she's been able to be more compassionate and empathetic to that over time as we've talked about things and been open with one another and which is you know the same would be for depression or anxiety or any of the other um, things that you know couples have to to um, endure, deal with. Um, I imagine somebody who's going through cancer or all those kinds of things, you have to, you're either going to, it's either going to tear you apart or it's, it can bring you together. And um, that would be my encouragement to men that uh, maybe if you're listening and you, and you think, gosh, this sounds a lot like my wife. Um, do, do the homework and go to the website, um, learn about it. And, um, it might, it might be something that, you know, just having an understanding of it, um, just in PMS in general, but as it gets, the more exacerbated, um, and syndromes that uh, are out there. Um, if you have a better understanding of it, I think you can be a little bit more, um, um, compassionate, a little bit less, uh, you know, like say when you're growing up and stuff, you know, those things are all kind of like, uh, um, things that boys make fun of and, and, uh, teenagers and that kind of stuff. And I, I'm sure I did. Uh, and um, you know, you learn from that now that, uh, this is a very real thing and probably happening to a lot of women, um, in our population and, um, they need support, they need understanding and they need, um, they need to be heard. They need to be listened to. Um, and like like Susie said, I, I think especially in the church, I, I, I witnessed not only men, but women in the church who don't suffer from these things. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I could list off, well, you could pray more or you could 
serve more in your church. You could do more, right? All the things you, you're just not doing enough to have the spirit to overcome this. And it was hurtful over time to hear that and recognize, ah, they don't know what they, they just don't know. They're ignorant of the, of, of what those individuals are going through. And so, gosh, you know, we need a lot more just compassion and empathy. And as we express that and give that as a gift to them, um, I think more will be able to share their stories like Susie's doing and more will be able to feel accepted and, um, and, you know, I, I don't know what it's like to be a bishop, so I don't know what it's like to sit on the other side of that table and listen to, uh, to that and not know. And I, I can say, I don't think they will know what to say, but just to listen and hear it and just, um, uh, you know, find, find the support, help them find support, counseling, um, medical doctors that are supporting this and understand what it's about is really a crucial and important, I think, step that it's not something that's just going to get prayed away. It's something that um, can definitely be helped by prayer. And, and um, you know, I, I truly believe um, that Susie's been preserved because of her commitment to her um, covenants and to the church and to her savior. And that's helped. Uh, I mean, that's, uh, that's our, uh, it grounds us. That's the thing that helps us be able to um, see that it's all worth it. Whatever the challenges are, the, whatever the time you're having to spend, go through this. And now, you know, kind of coming through on the other side of this, her being able to help other people um, is seeing that and re- realizing, gosh, you know, we all can help somebody with this. Everybody can have, um, just by acknowledging that it exists and that and that uh, it's real and that's just not fabricated in people's minds and or as a way to get out of doing something, you know, um, which probably early on I would probably be guilty of, you know, so, yeah, you know, it's easy to not want to do the dishes tonight because you're not feeling well, <laughs> right? Uh, those are things that are very real and, and frankly, I feel guilty about now because I just didn't know, you know, um, and, um, uh, so that's that is that's that's the message I'd have for the men and and other women too that maybe don't suffer from it to have some great. empathy for that. That was a really good segment, and we'll we'll wrap up maybe with some final words from Susie. But a few thoughts came to my mind, Tim. I love the process that you both went through. You decided to just get education on this. You went to the website, and. Um, I love this idea when we know better, we do better. And both of you decided this is different and we're going to go get educated about this. It's something we don't know and how that then helped you. Um, I, I love that. And I just love you being willing to learn about something. And us guys are fix-it guys. 
we want to fix things or we want to avoid things sometimes we can't fix or don't understand. But I love that you two said we're going to go walk this road together and maybe one of you led the road more at other times um, and you figured out what was going on here. I'm an analogy person, listeners, so I think of things to make sense to me when I don't experience PMS <laughs> nor, you know, um, PMDD, but I, I understand what a torn ACL is like and and in our congregations, if somebody walks in with a torn ACL, we understand what that's like. And I thought to myself, this is like having a torn ACL for the beginning of every period. <laughs> um, and just that just it, recurring torn ACL that's coming at the beginning two weeks for every period that ends. But if we looked at it that way, and I don't know if that's a good idea, but if we look at it that way, we go, oh my gosh. That is like, I get that. What can I do to understand how to support you? And, and the anxiety of knowing a new torn ACL is coming every month is like crazy anxiety wrapped into that. And so anyway, listeners, those are some of the ways my mind uses to understand things I don't understand. But Susie, will you just, you know, take a few minutes and give us any closing thoughts and anything you'd like to say? Yeah, thank you. Um, I appreciate that. I appreciate um, your light bulb moments and being able to talk to Tim and hear his perspective. I, I think it's really important for um, people to, I, I love the ACL comparison. I'm an, I'm an analogy person too. And I will also, it, it's, it's even for me, it's easier for me to understand physical pain than it is to understand mental pain, um, emotional pain. And so realizing that there are things that we can do to kind of support, you know, there are things that you can do to support an ACL ligament and help it heal. Um, and there's things that we can do to support um, women and AFAB individuals um, as, as they're learning how, learning, going through the treatment process, because finding help is, is hard. Finding doctors that have heard of it um, if you think, or if you, this sounds familiar for someone that you love, or, or it sounds familiar for you, I highly recommend going to the IAPMD.org site. They have a lot of helpful tools and resources, and like they have like an information sheet that you can download and take with you to, to um, your doctor's visit. If they're not familiar with it, you have this sheet that kind of explains it, shows some of the research references on there um track your cycle use either an app or your calendar and and track not only your physical symptoms but your um your mental health symptoms and um and if and if you have two months worth of that you're ready to go if you have that and you have the information sheet that you can download at iapmd.org you should be able to get a little further with your physician than you normally would. And um, hopefully there's also resources on the IAPMD website that if you are a healthcare provider and you would like to be more supportive in your office and your career, um, there are workshops and things like that from other, from, from colleagues and from other um, people that have been, um, treating this 
and you can take the workshops there. You can, you can, you know, pay like per workshop or you can become a community um, member um, as a professional community member. That's something new to IAPMD and there. And you can, you have free access with, with your subscription kind of like that to all the workshops that they do. And they're, they're really excellent. And there is a lot of great research going on. Um, you know, donations are appreciated to IAPMD. So many of the women that work there are volunteering so many of their hours. Um, and and this, it is a patient-driven website. It was not started by professionals. It was started by women who, who recognized a lack of support. And um, some of these women... Um, actually had surgery to uh this is this is the last tier of treatment is to have surgery to remove the ovaries um which which creates the cyclical changes that are so disruptive and so some women if they're not finding relief with some of these other tiers you know tiers of treatment they their last resort is to get remove the ovaries in addition to uh the the uterus, so a hist full hysterectomy with a oophorectomy, bilateral oophorectomy, and that in and of itself, that path takes a lot of um, support to do, and to find a doctor that's willing to do that for the reasons of simply for mental health and maybe the fact that this woman's not she may take her life if she can't find relief. Um, so, and that it that it takes a lot of support even as you decide to make those decisions. There's a lot of things, and and the the website is full of information for pre-surgery, post-surgery, all the different tiers of treatments with SSRIs or birth control, uh, any ovulation suppression, things like that. So I'm throwing a lot of scientific words out there, but that's all on the IAPMD website. There's also very user-friendly things like a blog where women share their stories on the blog. And so you can learn more that way. There, there's a few partner stories on the blog. So that's great. There's also a support group for partners um, that is run by a spouse. There's two of them, actually, two partner support groups. Um, so if you would like support in supporting your partner, kind of like an Al-Anon type of thing, you know, um, then that's, that's there as well. And it's growing and it's really exciting. And, and I'm, I'm happy to be a part of something positive, finally with this in my life and um, just feel pretty, pretty lucky and very relieved after all these years to have a place where I feel comfortable. I can go and talk with people who understand what it's like. And I've started my group as faith promoting a faith. I call it a faith promoting group. And it's not just, it's for anybody that has a spiritual tradition that may have, um, PMDs, uh, PMDD, for them to get support. And so we can talk about God. We can talk about, we can talk about our spiritual lives. We can talk about all those avenues that help us and support us, but also be very real with everything else that it brings. So, and do people get to your support group the, through the IAPM, IAPMD.org website? Yes, they do. You just click on the support tab and it'll show. Video support groups is what I do. There's peer support, crisis support, uh, support groups on Facebook and stuff, and then there's video support groups, and I do a video one on Zoom. So. Well, Susie White, thank you 
I have learned a lot. Listeners learned a lot, but I'll bet there's a lot of people that just feel like, okay, now I understand what's going on. And that's a gift you're giving to other people. Tim, great job. This is a beautiful love story. Um, I'm sure if I'd interviewed you the day you got married, this you did not know would be part of your love story, but I think it's a beautiful love story. And I think it's typical what happens in all marriages, just where things happen and and that we grow closer together and we learn and we grow and we're not perfect, but we do better. And um, then I think you're able to take increased compassion, understanding, and empathy to others within your circle of influence, including your daughters and people you serve. So Susie White and Tim White, thanks for being on the podcast. This is Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>